Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Mike Golub, and Mike has a story that I really hope and wish more people would know about and learn about because it just shows that the hands you're dealt isn't the outcome that will be your eventual truth if you do not want it to be. And I just respect and admire how Mike has persisted through difficult times to become a a stronger version of himself. And in this conversation, we spoke about sales, but we also spoke about how his high school and college experiences weren't necessarily what he wanted them to be and what he did to change them. We also spoke about his girlfriend, Miss Excel, Kat Norton, episode 174. And we spoke about what having a significant other who is also trying to become the best version of themselves, what that does for you. I enjoyed this tremendously. I think Mike's an incredible guy. I think you should all follow him if you can on Instagram and which you can find down below. And I just, I'm really grateful for this conversation and this episode. And I'd love to know what you learned about it. So let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda what you took away from this episode, what you gained. And I will mention that the episode is a backup recording. The files got lost, but Riverside thankfully had the backup. So hopefully the audio issues were minimized. And I want to apologize in advance if the audio quality isn't as good as usual. Hopefully it was saved and it's no big deal. But either way, I'm excited for you to meet Mike Gallup. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Mike, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. After we met and I heard your story, I was like, Oh my God, I got to have this guy on this podcast because just uh, it's interesting when you hear someone's story and you say to yourself, you know, more people need to hear this. So I'm grateful to get the opportunity to share your story and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate that. I'm truly humbled and honored to, to be here as well. Um, thank you for having me. Hell yeah. So... I guess a, a good place to start with this whole story probably be when you graduate from college. Take me through your your mindset, your mentality, your your perspective on life when you initially graduate college. Sure. So let's maybe take a step back further, right before college. Sure. Um, when I was in high school, I was working 40 hours a week delivering pizzas at a local pizzeria. And uh, I didn't know my father until I was 18. And um, we had a very distant relationship due to my parents' divorce. And my mother was battling cancer. So um, I developed a very strong work ethic in in high school. Um, and I'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I'd go to the gym and then I would go to school from, you know, 7.30 till whenever, 2, 3, whenever it ended. And uh, and then I'd go to work 
5 to 11. And on the weekends, I'd work all day, usually from 9 to 9 or 11 to 11. And I was really just hustling. And that's where I built my work ethic. So then by the time I came to go to college, all I knew was how to work hard. I didn't really know much else, right? All I knew was better myself, hustle as hard as I'll figure it out. So I remember coming home, um, you know, late at night, one night after work and probably partying as well. And I submitted a few college applications. Didn't really know what I was writing, but um, I had a 97 GPA in high school. And I was like, well, I'll go to college somewhere. And if I don't get in, you know, I'll, I'll probably just go to the Marines. And I'll probably just go to the military and, and figure it out from there. And uh, so I ended up going to Cortland. And I got there after a year. Um, yeah, after my senior year of high school, I went to Cortland. And I remember all of my friends were getting accepted to better schools, you know, higher end schools. And I, I had always had great grades, great work you know, great work ethic. I was like, what the heck? Not, not that Cortland's a bad school, but why, right? Why was I getting denied from all the other ones? And, uh, sure enough, I go there after a year, had a 4.0 and couldn't, I had trouble figuring out from there financially. I didn't have the funds to continue. Um, and I felt like I was kind of wasting my time. I could be in the military right now. And, doing something purposeful. So, um, that at that point was where I met my father and my mother and I got into, um, we, we had a pretty rocky relationship. We got into an argument one day and I left the house, stormed off. And I remember speeding off my car and I, I was in tears and I called my dad and I just said, Hey, you know, I know we haven't spoken in probably 15 years at this point. Um, but if you ever wanted to you know, develop a relationship and, and, uh, you know, I could use some help right now. Now, now would be the time. So that was uh, a pivotal point. I met him at the cheesecake factory and we discussed plans like, Hey, do I go back to school? Um, is there something that we can work out together or maybe you can help me with the money for now and I'll get, I could pay you back over time or do I just quit focus on, my day to day generating money from delivering pizzas and then, uh, and then figuring it out from there. What gave you the confidence to go to your father after not having a relationship with him? Didn't really have any other option. It was that. Um, and I always deep down inside knew, you know, every, every boy or every, young man needs his father, right? There's always something you can learn from your father. And um, at the time, I didn't know much about him. And we were very distant. And I thought, there's got to be another path here. There's got to be something that I don't see that maybe someone else could see, even if it's someone I don't really know. What was what was the childhood like, if you're describing this, where you didn't have a father growing up and your mom has cancer. What was that experience like? <laughs> Very lonely. Um, my mother was obviously going through her challenges. Um, my sister and I weren't close and my uncle and my grandmother were 
pretty much raising me or, or there as much as they could be. And um, they suddenly passed on separate occasions due to different heart conditions. And by the time I was 17, I was focused on really figuring it out on my own, right? And that's what helped me develop a really strong skill set in sales because I learned how to sell myself. I learned how to take advantage of opportunities and create deals where they weren't. And I learned how to shake people's hands and make them feel great. And, um, you know, through sales and having a work ethic that I developed at a young age, I was able to transition and pivot my life um, so that I can become successful in school by that by not necessarily being the smartest because I was never the smartest and I never wanted to be the smartest. I wanted to be the person who was known for having a solid work ethic and being a genuinely great human. So take me through what it's like then to to just be wanting to know be known for having a strong work ethic but then when you're in the position in Cortland of not succeeding you have a strong work ethic but you're saying to yourself why am I doing as well as I know I could be take me through then like what goes on in your mind sure so when my father and I met when I was about 18, so after my first year at Cortland, um, he was like, what are you doing there? It's a teacher school. Do you want to be a teacher? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I want to be a cop teacher. I don't know what I want to be. I'm freaking 18 years old, right? Um, so we discuss transferring to potentially Binghamton or Albany or just a better business school. Ended up applying to Binghamton about four or five times, waitlisted, waitlisted, waitlisted. And I drove back um, from Cortland to Binghamton at least five, six, seven times. And I met with the admissions team to the point where it was literally a weekly conversation. Um, And that was basically my way of demonstrating how bad I wanted it and what type of person that they'd be bringing into, you know, their their student body, their organization. And that was a skill set that I took with me throughout my career whether it be in sales or networking or building new relationships with people in different industries. Um, that was something that always stuck with me was, hey, how do I relate to people and show them that I'm not like everyone else that you know wants to be here? You know, it's so fascinating. There's a conversation I see happen online sometimes, which is like, at this current juncture, college isn't worth it in terms of the amount of money you pay or the amount of time you give up. Some people are very strongly saying, you know, college is not where you should be spending your time. Other people are like, college is an incredible experience. Looking back, how do you frame that conversation? It's a great question. So there's, there's so many different ways to look at it, and it really depends on what you're being called to do, Right. Um, there are many instances. I mean, you look at the smartest and the richest people of not even our generation, just human, the human humanity, let's say, right? You've got Bill Gates, 
Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk. I mean, the list goes on and on of who didn't go to college. People like Gary Vee, Gerard Adams, right? And they're beyond successful, right? Um, I look at it as if college breeds employees and not going to college breeds entrepreneurship and it breeds figuring it out in your own way. And there's no right or wrong answer. Being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody and being an employee isn't for everybody. But um, to take out potentially a loan or spend a large sum amount of money to memorize curriculum that is then used to judge your intelligence, that's something that I don't personally agree with. That's like if you were to line up a bunch of animals, right, and judge them all on their ability to climb a tree. Well, the fish might not be good at climbing the tree. Maybe not as good as the monkey, but that's not to say the fish isn't smart and the fish isn't talented and the fish can't do things that the monkey can't do, right? So um, the fish can do things that the monkey can't do. So I think that there's a lot of different perspectives here. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's the difference of how soon are you willing to bet on yourself? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to bet on yourself earlier on and prove to yourself that you can accomplish what other people don't think you can or what you potentially don't think you can? Or do you just want some more time to learn a new skill set and potentially figure out what lights you up? So it depends what you're being called to from from your heart center. Mm. So I guess then let's go into like what was calling you to Binghamton? There... The biggest thing that was calling me was the reputation of the school. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the School of Management is top tier for business. Um, I changed my major the first day of college. I thought I wanted to be a police officer. And then after day one, I was like, well, you know, I haven't even taken any criminal justice courses yet, but I think I want to be in business, right? Yeah. So like any other 18-year-old kid, they don't really know what they want to do until they try it. Um, so I just realized that, Hey, look, a lot of things in life come back to business. And, and I always say, you know, sales, is the difference between a hobby and a business. So if I can learn business early on and I can create, you know, a powerful network of other alumni who are skilled in business and have succeeded in business, then that would be step one. After that, you know, after you get your degree, no one really asks you where you got your degree after your first job. No one really asks you where you went to school, right? So it's all about creating those opportunities and building a network early on with other powerful people. Mm. And so then take me through my original question, which is like, when you graduated, what was the mentality like? Where do you, did you know you were going to go into sales? Did you have a different perspective of where you were going to take your life? So... I always had a a big vision for myself. I always knew that I would be successful. I just didn't know how. And, you know, I always relied on true faith in the universe or God or spirit or whatever you call it. I always relied on that to figure out the how for me, even from a young age. um, In high school, I had that mindset. So when I was 18 or 19, I applied to I don't even know how many internships, if I had a guess, maybe 50, 60. And I ended up landing one with Enterprise, the rental car company. And I started off washing cars there only because it sounded like an attractive internship at the time, even though it clearly wasn't. Um, And then sure enough, that turned into a 
a much more prosperous and inspiring career there. Um, so by the time I was graduating from college, I actually had a role with Enterprise lined up. Um, and at the time, I knew that, you know, hey, look, this was a place where, yeah, I'm not going to come out of school making $100,000 or $200,000 right away, but there's potential there to make millions of dollars over time, especially since I was starting at such a young age and I had a passion for succeeding and winning and learning and being the fastest and the best person on the team. So where do you think the, the passion for winning came from? There was no choice to lose when I was younger. And um, if I didn't have a winning mentality, I wasn't going to eat that night. My family lived paycheck to paycheck growing up. And um, I had to bet on me. And I just never saw losing as part of the picture. I had to go to work. I wanted to go to work and I got to go to work. But that also was my way of eating and providing for myself, sometimes my family. Even if it was delivering pizzas and making a few hundred dollars a week, that was my fuel. And there was no way to lose. I could not lose. So how do you deal with losing? Because there are situations in life, whether you don't get the promotion you want, you don't get the sale you want. How do you deal with losing knowing that it's an inevitable part of life? Understanding also at the same time that you need to win. Losing to me is not a word that I typically keep in my mind or even in my vocabulary. It's either winning or learning. And I see life as everything that happens to me is the best possible thing to happen to me. So yes, maybe I didn't close that deal. Maybe I didn't get the promotion. And maybe my flight got delayed or whatever it may be, right? Shit will happen. And at the end of the day, it's supposed to happen. I have unwavering faith in the process. And when things don't go my way or the way I thought they would go, I just reflect and I say, hey, what did I learn? And what can I take from this lesson and bring with me into the next chapter or the next, you know, the, the next experience in my life. That seems like a, a real healthy way to look at it. How come when you applied to Binghamton four or five times, you didn't take that as it's not meant to be? Because I think a lot of people might, if they get rejected from somewhere twice or three times, they might say, okay, this isn't for me, clearly. So that's a real example, I guess, of you taking a loss and saying to yourself, okay, just because they told me no a couple of times doesn't mean that this is not meant to be. Sure. Well, I like to relate it to real estate, right? So let's say you own a house and it's a million dollar house. It was just appraised at a million dollars, right? The following year, it gets appraised at you know, maybe the housing market went down. Maybe it's worth 800000 now. Do you sell yourself out at 800000 because someone told you you're only worth 800000 Or do you hold on to what you know is true and keep trusting the process and keep moving forward? 
So that's the same thing that I did. I held on to my values. I knew what I was worth. I knew what I was capable of. And if someone tells me I'm not worth it, I don't say they're right, wrong, or indifferent. I just don't listen. Where does the self-belief come from? It got me to where I was at the time. And at the time, I I felt like I was on the right track. Um, I experienced breakthroughs and, and had traumatic yet, I want to say traumatic and difficult experiences at a young age that allowed me to understand my capabilities and, and how powerful that your mind, your body, your spirit are when they're all aligned and you really trust the process. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I think I just really understood my vision and how bad I wanted it and how I wasn't going to let someone who didn't see the same vision as me tell me it's not happening. It seems that the difficult situations led to transformative powers in your own life. What would you tell somebody who hasn't had difficult experience, formative experiences that have shaped their life in a positive way? How would you get them to understand the power of using difficult situations to their own gain? Difficult means means different things to different people, right? So they might not have had traumatic or difficult experiences in their life, um, but that doesn't mean that they can't stretch outside their comfort zone and try something that scares them, that inspires them. And they may they may get it and achieve the first time, and they may not, right? But at the end of the day, if they wanted to step outside their comfort zone and try something new then they would have the experience of either winning or learning. Mm. And that's probably one of the most powerful experiences that you could have as a human. Okay, so take me through the enterprise and how that developed and shaped. I, I know, I think you were the number one sales rep in North America or something crazy like that. So yes. how'd that occur? So when I first started with Enterprise, I was washing cars at a local branch, and that was not too fulfilling or exciting, as you you could imagine. Um, But then I completed a management training program. It was a 12-month program. I did it in six months. And my goal, again, was just to prove to myself, not even to others, really to myself, how much I can bend the term average and how much I can really step outside my comfort zone and be number one. I don't want to be, I don't want to be three, four, five. That's losing to me. I wanted to be number one. So I completed this, um, the six month internship or 12 month internship in six months. And I got promoted to a management spot within the first six months of my career, which is something that's not common or at all at enterprise. And, um, sure enough, my manager at the time, um, got in some trouble with the company and it was on me to run a branch, run a team, manage a team of people who were way older than me and actually had obligations. I was in my early twenties. They had families, they had kids, they had mortgages and, uh, and my, I didn't. Right. So I didn't really always have a complete understanding. Um, 
of, you know, I wasn't in that same position that they were in, but all I knew was that I can be compassionate. I can build a strong relationship with them and I can inspire them to be their best as well. So that took me through um, several promotions. I was promoted, I think, six times in the first year and a half. Um, And then I was one of the youngest branch managers in the region. Um, So by the time I was 23, actually 22, I was managing multi-million dollar operations and teams of 15, 20 people. Um, I wasn't even old enough to rent the car. Keep that in mind. So um, although I had a company car, I wasn't old enough to rent the car. So um, by the time I was 24, I applied to work with our corporate fleet management team. Um, At the time, I had the, let's say, resume, right? The intercompany resume, but I didn't have the experience. I was young. I would have been the youngest person they ever hired. um, And that created some hesitation for them. And they made that clear that, hey, look, they're betting on someone with very little experience compared to everybody else. Um, I took that as fuel. And that was, that's what really fired me up was, yeah, I'm I'm meant to do things that other people haven't done. And um, I ended up, closing many multi-million dollar deals. And after three and a half years, I was the number one ranked salesperson in North America. Um, and I, I built a very, very strong book of business there that fed me tons of referrals. And I was able to create deep, deep relationships with my clients. And um, I had a lot of success there. And then I pivoted to, to you know, a bigger and just more fulfilling role. Okay, there's there's a lot to dive into there. Take me through the six promotions in, you said, a year and a half. What were the reasons for the promotions? Mostly performance and peer review. So performance-wise, um, I was always the number one ranked salesperson. Um, I won in the internship program that I originally did when I, when I first came on board. I was the number one ranked salesperson out of 33 interns. Um, and I was number five in the entire company. So, um, and that was while I was an intern. So that got me promoted to full-time. Um, full-time, same thing. I led our team in sales. Um, and each one was due to sales. And then they would review your team on, on your relationship with each member of the team. And um, I always had strong relationships with my team. And I always was able to learn more about them and give to them and help train them. And in the same way, I was a humble student. I was always willing to learn in areas where I knew I wasn't the best and there was room to improve. So um, during, you know, by the time each promotion came around, you had to hold a position for six months to be eligible. And I was always promoted on that six month. Huh. That's fascinating. And so, when you look at somebody who is just starting out in sales, what, what are the common mistakes that they make where you're, you look at it now and you're like, how, this is what they could be doing better? Sure. So a lot of times salespeople will share their recommendation or present their offer before they actually learn about what the prospect needs or is looking for. So to me, that's like going to a restaurant, Right. And the waitress walks over and she just hands you a cheeseburger. You didn't even order it, right? You just sat down. You didn't even look at the menu. But she's just giving you what she thinks you want. So how would you feel, right? 
you feel like this person didn't even hear you out. And how do you know I want that, right? What if I can't even eat that? So when I was always training new salespeople and still I always say, hey, look, spend the first half, maybe even three quarters of the conversation actually learning about the prospect. Don't even talk business. Honestly, the best the best sales are the ones where you're not even talking business for the first half of the meeting. That's when you're just straight relationship building, laughing, joking, getting to know each other. Earn the title friend. After you earn the title of being a friend, then you can start learning about their challenges, right? Learn about what they need. And they may be in the market for a new iPhone. Don't come in here and try to sell them a Tesla, right? Cater your, cater your offer to what they actually need or what they're looking for. And then once you learn their challenges, you now are the solution. Present your offer in a way where it's the solution. And this is what's going to get them from point A to point B versus, you know, again, the first way is just coming in and presenting your offer. Well, of course they wouldn't buy. They don't know anything about it and you don't know anything about them, right? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's so obvious that we buy from people who we trust and are friends. And if your friend recommends something, you know it's something that's going to be good. So it makes sense that in the sales process, it's the same exact way. Absolutely. So take me through then what it was like to manage people when you were younger than them. That's a very unusual role. So take me it's interesting that. and um, they know it and you know it. And at first it could be a little bit awkward, right? Especially when um, some of the people see you as, you know, look, you could be their kid, right? So <laughs> um, there's a part where you have to come from a humble and, and have a humble place and just simply have humility. Like, yeah, you know what? I am your son, Jage. Yeah, I know. So funny, right? And just embrace it. Um, but also develop their trust, earn their trust and inspire them so that they respect you. Right. And all you can do when you're in that position is lead by example. And to give you an example right there, there are plenty tasks where, you know, some leaders will, will delegate simply because they don't want to do it. And when you're in that type of role, not even when you're just younger than your employees, but I just, I just say management role in general, the way you earn your employees' trust and your, your peers' trust is by doing those tasks and then delegating them. Do them a few times or a bunch of times and then delegate them out before you just simply delegate them. And just never assign a task that you wouldn't do yourself. Hmm. Makes sense. And, you know... This story reminds me a lot of Kat Cole. I don't know. Are you familiar with Kat Cole? No. She's the, I think she's the CEO of Athletic Greens at this point. And she worked at Hooters. And by like age 25, she was the VP of Hooters and all this stuff. And she started at 18, like she was just working as a waitress. And she had to deal with a very similar situation of having to, lead people who are older than her and one topic and theme that just kept coming up again and again in our conversation the one i had with her was just humility and understanding that you are you're just a constant learner you're a constant sponge and it's crazy how similar your story seems getting promoted starting 
just washing cars and then, you know, like getting more and more. And, and another thing she talked about was the, the owner mentality of mm-hmm. believing that you were taking ownership for everything around you. So I guess, do you, do you resonate with that? Everything I just said or? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So at enterprise, um, when you run a branch and when you manage a branch, they actually make it as if it's your own business. Mm. So every dollar that gets spent or every dollar saved affects your paycheck mm. as the manager. So when I, I'm, I'm a young kid, right? At the time, I'm 22 years old. I'm managing a multi-million dollar operation. And I took over from a manager who was <laughs> had a net loss each month. And we're wow. at $215,000 in debt. And I flipped this branch within about three or four weeks to at least break even through really strong sales training and showing my employees how to generate more revenue. And then after that, we were net positive for my remaining about four four, four or five months there before I got promoted. So um, that all comes from extreme ownership. And that's just, that's not even at a company that's everywhere in your life when you take extreme ownership over your diet over how you communicate over you know the standards that you have for yourself and for others your whole world starts to change everything starts and ends with extreme ownership yeah jocko willink and so yeah so talk to me about like what is what are you selling you work in an enterprise like what is actually the sale who are you selling to and is it changing as you're moving up the corporate ladder or is it the similar thing you're selling? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, at the base level, you know, when you first start, you're selling protection on rental cars and you're selling upsells into nicer cars, right? Um, and then you manage a team and you're selling your credibility as a leader mm. and as someone who can transform their careers, so you start to shift your mindset from just selling rental car protection to really selling yourself, right? You're selling your your relationships with your team so that you can help them advance in their career. Um, and you're also the head of, a, like I said, a multi-million dollar operation. So you're selling your reputation, right? You want to build relationships with referral sources. Um, and then when I... Uh, moved up into corporate, I was selling corporate fleet vehicles. So at this point, I was managing company vehicles um, for some of the largest companies in the world. And, you know, similar to how a hedge fund manager would manage, you know, if you gave a hedge fund manager a million dollars and they would manage it for you, I would sell partnerships with these large corporations where I would manage their portfolio of vehicles. And it could be anywhere from cut few hundred thousand dollar portfolio up to millions and millions you know of dollars so i would acquire vehicles for them i would i would have them on a maintenance plan i would resell those used vehicles after they were done with them um and i would sell my expertise in in how to effectively manage a fleet okay so let's just break that down like if it was nike let's say and we want to manage nike's fleet of cars what does that look like? Where do you start? Like, do you come into it with Nike has this portfolio of cars? How many cars would that be? Can you like make it tangible for me? 
<laughs> sure. So let's say Nike had 200 cars, right? They had some executive cars, they had salespeople with cars. Um, essentially, what I did there was I analyzed their fleet and I saw you know, what their needs were. So why did they need a certain type of vehicle? Were they driving pickup trucks when they could drive, you know, regular sedans and save on fuel, right? Mm. So I analyzed their entire portfolio. Then I would identify the best, the car that worked best for their fleet, whether it was, you know, whatever maker model um, based on the total cost of ownership. So what was the total cost of owning that vehicle, including the cost to acquire it, fuel it, maintain it, the depreciation expense on it. Um, so then I would help them choose the right vehicle. We had ties with all manufacturers too. So then I would actually acquire that vehicle for them using you know my relationship at the time with the manufacturers. And I would have oversight you know, of the fuel, the maintenance spend um, for that vehicle. And then similar to how a stockbroker manages stocks, uh, manages a stock portfolio, I would sell that used vehicle at the height of a used resale market, which is right now. So um, mm-hmm. right now, used vehicles are selling for way over the current rate. If, you, if anyone's in the market right now, they would, they would know that. And I would sell these used vehicles at the height of the market to recapture the equity and then use different um, strategic financial, I guess, strategies or scenarios where I can minimize um, their tax expenses and use that equity to offset the cost of a new vehicle. So I was selling that while Nike was selling sneakers and yoga pants and baseball bats and and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, they're not experts in fleet management. They're experts in apparel and everything else that they do. It's crazy. You learn something new every day. I didn't know there was somebody who could call themselves a fleet manager of a a company's car. It's fascinating. So... (laughs) Take me through then when you say to yourself, all right, I'm going to not be a fleet manager or I'm going to get away from enterprise. What was, what was the next phase and how did you stumble upon it? Sure. So I was not looking for a change at the time. Um, all I knew was I was just meant for something more. I didn't know where or how or what, um, but I was always into motivational speaking. I always loved listening to people like Gerard Adams, Ed Milet, Eric Thomas. Um, I mean, you name it. Ever since I was in high school, I was listening to these people. And they always inspired me to strive for more. So about four or five years ago, I went to go see Eric Thomas speak. And oh my gosh, what a transformational two-day event. And um, when I was there... I learned about this guy named Gerard Adams, who was also speaking there. I never heard of him, but I ended up bumping into him on his way up the stage and we took a picture together and we started talking a bit. And then I realized he was one of the keynote speakers and I listened to him speak that day. And he was the founder of Elite Daily, sold it for $50 million. He's a perfect example of someone who didn't go to college, like we were talking about before, but figured it out on his own. And that inspired me very, very much. So Um, long story short, I started following this guy, Gerard Adams for many years. And, um, at the time where, you know, here I am seasoned at enterprise, I'm open to other ideas. I go on Instagram and I'm like, Hey, wow, Gerard's in Sedona, Arizona. That place looks beautiful. You know, I'd, I'd love to go out there and just check it out. 
didn't know what I was in for, but I ended up getting to Sedona. I remember texting my buddy Mikey. I was like, oh my God, Gerard's in Sedona. I'm totally going to bump into him. Sedona's a small town, right? So long story short, I ended up not bumping into him. But my girlfriend's business started blowing up, uh, Miss Excel. She teaches uh, Microsoft Excel on social media. And his fiance or, or girlfriend at the time, Ashley, reached out to Kat, my girlfriend. And the girls hit it off. And long story short, um, I just made number one in North America. It's like maybe two days before that, before Ashley reached out to Kat. And Kat, must've, Kat brought it up to Ashley. And she mentioned it to Gerard. Gerard said, I would love to hop on a Zoom meeting with him. And, uh, you know, I'm actually looking to add someone to my team to handle sales. And here I am the following week in a Zoom meeting with Gerard Adams, someone that I've looked up to for years. And uh, I couldn't really grasp how incredible it was at the time. It was just it was it was really just beyond anything I could have imagined. What do you think led to that happening? I mean, some people would call that coincidence. Some people would say it's a synchronicity. Some people would say the odds are so crazy. Like, what do you attribute that happening to? Divine intervention. Trusting the process. And, you know, when, when you're the best and, and you always strive to be the best, you'll always have options. And it doesn't matter what role you have. I don't care if you're you know, if you're collecting garbage, I don't care if you're a teacher, I don't care if you're a business owner, whatever it may be, when you're the best, you create options for yourself. And um, this all came from becoming number one in North America. And that opened up an option for me, because that, again, gave Kat the ability to say that and Gerard to receive that. And, uh, Sure enough, that's what landed me on that call with him. Okay, so what what happened on the call? (laughs) So Gerard turned his camera off, right? And he goes, hang on one second. I'm just walking out of uh, an enterprise, just dropping off a rental car. And I was, I thought he was laughing. I I thought he was kidding with me. Um, So he hops back on, he turns turns his camera back on and he goes, yeah. So, so, you know, where do you work right now? What do you do? And it was so awkward. I, I was just like, really, really? Like, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, what do you do? And I was like, Gerard, I work for enterprise and long story short. Um, we just started laughing because it, it's just something you couldn't predict. And it's something you could have never imagined, right? This whole, this whole story is something that you could have never predicted. So, the call went amazing. Um, I ended up, I mean, obviously it went amazing because I'm working with him today. Um, but I ended up showing him the picture of us back from 2016 on my phone. And I was like, you may not remember this, but, um, that was something I would never forget. And yeah, we spoke a lot of just, we had, there was a lot of alignment between, um, the vision that we had for myself, for the business and for how I could really support the team. So so what do you do now for Gerard? So now I oversee um, I oversee revenue for our companies and I'm in charge of enrollment. So I'm the director of enrollment. Um, I oversee our new client base and make sure that we have the right clients with the right fit in the right programs. Um, and I really just focus on developing relationships 
with new clients, with current clients, and building strong bonds and helping them win as well. So, okay, so take me through that. What does it look like when you are trying to build a bond with somebody? Let's say they've signed up for Gerard's program in the past and your goal is to basically become friends with somebody, right? Like in in just blunt terms, like you want to become their friend, you want to be liked by them. What do you do in that situation when they kind of know, perhaps they know like you're trying to be their friend They've already signed up for Gerard's program. They don't maybe care about you. Like, how do you ingratiate yourself to that? Sure. Well, if you want to open someone up, just talk about things that are most important to them, Hmm. right? Ask them about if they have kids, ask them about their kids, ask them about their business and show that you're genuinely there to learn. You're humble. You have, again, humility and you're genuinely there to support them, help them get to the next level and you want the ultimate best for them. And there comes a time when, yeah, they may may not want to talk to you. A lot of times they do, right? And a lot of times they're open as well. Um, But there's, people are always open to having more genuine good people in their lives. And if you can show that you're one of those people, they're typically open to receiving it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what do you... So you, you're in charge of revenue for Gerard Adams. What does that look like? Where are the revenue sources coming from currently, if you can share? Sure. So we have a lot of exciting stuff going on right now. Um, we just onboarded partnerships with um, two very prominent people in the self-improvement space. Um, and I'll mention names in the near future, just not right now. Um So what we do is we mentor entrepreneurs who are typically at six figures in their business and they're looking to get to seven figures or um, have an eight figure valuation and set themselves up for an exit. So we're typically working with high level entrepreneurs who have already seen some results of financial success and they're looking to reach that next level. Um, Gerard's had two eight-figure exits, and the two partners that were onboarding um, have also reached seven and eight figures in their respective businesses. So um, my goal as a director of revenue is to find these entrepreneurs and inspire them to join our tribe so that they can, you know, we can support them with reaching seven and eight figures in their business as well. So how do you go about finding the six-figure entrepreneurs that want to get to the next level? So typically, Gerard will just mention something on his story or on his Instagram or or one of the platforms. Um, We have a lead generation team who will speak with people from there. And we just get a feel for simply their goals and their ambitions and who they are as a person. Um, Granted, they're a good fit at the time, then I actually receive a calendar invite. So the meetings are booked for me, which is great. Um, And then I hop into a meeting just like this and get to know them, right? Get to have a a deep understanding of where they're looking to go, where they're currently at, and what's holding them back. What type of person aligns with Gerard's philosophy as well as yours? Uh, Typically someone who is... I want to say a spiritual entrepreneur, um, someone who sees life through a deeper dimension than just hustle, hustle, hustle. Hustle is great. And it's certainly, you know, one of the founding 
one of the parts of the foundation of a business. Um, there's also more to the process though, right? Like there is understanding your own decision-making process. How do you make decisions? There's mastering your identity, right? How, how, who, who do you be day to day? Who do you be, right? So if you want to be a multimillionaire business owner or a multimillionaire investor, well, they don't sleep in on Mondays till 11 o'clock and they don't stay out late and, you know, get drunk and wake up hungover and run their business, right? They are on a strict schedule. They're disciplined. They're truthful to themselves and their vision and they don't negotiate with themselves, mm. right? You know, they don't say, well, I'll take tomorrow off from the gym or I'll take tomorrow off from work. That's what I call negotiating with yourself. When you can run a non-negotiable schedule and you don't waver from the vision that you have for yourself and your business and even your employees, then you're setting yourself up to win. How has working with Gerard changed you as a person? I've definitely become more creative and more connected with myself. Um, the corporate, not just enterprise, but I, I'm a believer, you know, the corporate reality of things um, typically is a very structured way, right? You do a certain few tasks very well, you move up the ladder. Do those tasks very well, move up the ladder. Keep doing those tasks very well, keep moving up the ladder, right? And Gerard's a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've always aspired to be an entrepreneur, and he's taught me how to leverage you know, your own decision-making process, how to enter the flow state, which is so important, how to simply just be and have a creative mind, close your eyes, and create visions for yourself and your business. Um, also, how to develop multiple streams of income through investing, especially with today's opportunities, NFTs, crypto, uh, stocks, real estate. So I've learned so much about diversification and really being, being at a higher level. How do you be? Because I feel like so many people and I definitely fall into this bucket sometimes, get so trapped in the world of social media, get so trapped in reading, get so trapped in a book or a, or a thought pattern that sometimes I just say to myself, I'm not being, I'm just doing all this stuff, but what's the difference between doing and being and, and how do you truly be more often than not? Sure. Well, I always tell people we're, we're human beings, right? We're not human doings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've all read, or I'll speak for myself, I've read hundreds of books and podcasts and I've listened to all of these things, but the goal is to actually take one thing, even if it's just one thing, and integrate that into your life and write down what it is that you want to be. Who, what identity do you want to step into and master this year? For me, it's multimillionaire investor. And that's something I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to really just be a very savvy investor. And I've done well over the years. My goal is to take it to the next level. Um, wow. Because it creates a true sense of freedom. You can develop more passive income and have more time to do things with people when you want, however you want. Um, versus having to trade time for money. 
Um, there's still a part of it, right? Analyzing deals, analyzing investments. You're still trading time. But after you trade that time and you become confident in that deal, you then have the freedom to move on to the next task or carry on with your day. Um, you know, and that's that's something I'm very passionate about is not trading time for money, especially as I get into my, my 30s and have kids and family, you know, that all, that's where I want to spend my time. So human, going back to your question though about human being, how do we be? That's about taking again, you know, one thing that you learn recently, whether it's today or this week or this month and integrating it into your day. And that one thing aligns with your new archetype. So for me, multimillionaire investor is the archetype I'm stepping into, right? The one thing that I'm integrating is um, I currently hired a stock option coach and someone to uh, learn uh, stock options with. He's a former hedge fund manager. That's my one thing. Now I'm mastering it. So take that one thing, master it and integrate it into your day. Once it's mastered, either teach others and or choose another one thing. Go after it and master it. Hmm. So one thing that I've been thinking about is the idea of picking coaches and picking people to guide you. How do you come upon this stock options coach and what do you look for when looking at somebody who is coaching you? Sure. So... There's one rule that I've always had for myself, and it's to only take advice from people who you would trade places with in that one particular area of life. So if I want to learn about investing, right, I'm not going to go to a nutritionist and take their insight on investing. I'm going to learn from a professional investor or someone who's done it, right? So um, one thing I always look for is are they where I want to be? That's the first thing I always ask. And the answer for this person was yes. He's managed a hedge fund before. He's built many passive streams of income. Um, He's managed funds for very high net worth individuals. And he's worked alongside them and share stages with them. And there's parts of his vision that I see and and align with my own vision for myself. So that was step one. The other thing is, can I resonate and can I relate to what they're saying? And 90% of communication is nonverbal. So I simply watch videos of them and I listen to them and um, I listen to how they present their offer. Having a sales background, that's really important to me. Are they looking to make a quick buck or are they actually like genuinely looking to teach people how to play a bigger game and level up? And um, this person checked all the boxes for me. And uh, I just, after that point, after committing and, you know, basically going through the transaction and committing that I'm moving forward with this, now it's on me. Now I have my money on me to actively study, to actively follow through and stay stay true to the commitment. So what have you been been learning? (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's so much more to investing that I thought I knew, but I didn't. And um, like I said, I've done well with investments. I 
Um, I've made multiple six figures through my investments at an early age. And I never understood the world of options. Um, and now I'm learning how to make money, regardless of whether the market goes up or down. And I always thought, oh, the market had to go up, right? If you're holding stock, the money, ha the value of it has to go up for you to make money. And that's not true. Um, I'm learning what professional fund managers are doing, where they're looking at different, you know, spread options, um, different long and short term strategies. They're looking at um, how to do something as basic as covered calls, where you can multiply your return on a stock as long as you own enough of it. So, um, for instance, if you have 100 shares of a stock, you can do what's called a covered call, where, you know, typically, let's just say the market average is 10% year over year, you can now make that 10%, 20, 30, or even 40% by doing the same thing that you were doing beforehand. So... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just learning how to be more advanced and, again, how to generate more passive income. That's awesome. Well, I'm happy for you and I'm excited for see how it's going to all play out. Um, Thanks, speaking of Speaking of passive income and speaking of, of uh, you know, we mentioned Mystic Cell before. I got to ask about Kat and, you know, that episode we did together got such a claim and connected with people on such a deep level. I've gotten so many messages about that episode. I think because of Kat's just ability to synthesize her experience into truth and words and communication so well. And I'm curious from your perspective, what it's been like to witness that episode in person and much more at a deeper level. Like what has that been like seeing someone's journey and seeing somebody progress and living with them or being with them consistently, like, what is that like? Oh, gosh, I'm so proud of her. Um, you know, two years ago, we were both living in our parents' homes. And on the weekend, we would grab lunch and sit in the back of my trunk and talk about our visions and, you know, sit by the beach, put the seats down and just like talk about our visions for ourselves. And we could have never predicted something this amazing. And um, I'm just so proud of her, her ability to keep moving forward, regardless of what obstacles come in the way and her ability to be so creative and offer something that has had such a profound impact on people around the world. Um, also, she's incredibly inspiring. You know, like she led me on a journey of entrepreneurship and spirituality. And, um, you know, I started to see her success. And to be honest, I got curious. I was like, well, wow. Like, one, I'm unbelievably excited and happy to see this. And two, you know, I'm curious, I would love to try this as well. And um, just to be by her side throughout this whole process and see her, her whole world transform has been unbelievable it's just totally beyond words so very excited yeah when you were talking about your visions on the beach what what were you talking about <laughs> well you know maybe if i close a few more deals this year 
and you know you get promoted at your corporate job maybe we can buy a house in long island right right by our parents and have kids and do the same thing that all of the generations before us have done and just continue that pattern and um and then one day we were just talking about does it really have to be like that hmm. right is there more to life and um she started miss excel without the intention of making money just simply with you know, the, the intention of having fun. And we started to see like, wow, you know, we can travel. We don't have to be living in Long Island and doing the same thing that our parents could have predicted and our grandparents could have predicted. Right. And, uh, you know, we could live as life as digital nomads. And I quit my corporate job and I started working remote as well. And that just gave us complete freedom to live life however we want, where we want and, and just do what we want. So um, just so grateful and so thankful and so just blessed with everything that the last year and a half has, has brought us. You know, I, I came across somewhere recently, someone said that if you live the same life as your parents, you failed. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it really forced me to think. And it really forced me to think about the cycles that go on in our own families and breaking them in a sense. Do you feel like you've broken your own family cycle? And if so, how would you recommend other people do that as well? Yes. Yes. I, I do feel as though I broke it and same for her as well. Um, you know, we have many more capabilities today than we've had there's never been a time a better time to start a business than now there's never been a better time to pursue your passions than now and um you know my family over the years not to say there's one route that's better or worse but they just i don't think they knew what they were capable of and i don't know if they truly saw their full potential um and i think i was the first person in my family to realize what our true potential is as humans and, and as human beings. Right. So, um, I think right now, if you ever wanted to step outside your comfort zone and experience a, t a way of life that you never thought could be possible, there's no better time than right now. What are some of the common pitfalls you see with people who are not living in their potential? Un, uninspired and um, typically just more negative energy than positive energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times I've been there. I know many people have been there as well. They just feel like there's more. I don't know what more means. I don't know what more is. I just feel like was I really put on this planet to work 50, 60 hours a week, have dinner, talk to my spouse and go to sleep. Right. And if you're there, cause I've been there too, just know that life does not have to be that way. And you know, one thing that you can do today is simply take a piece of paper on one side, put gifts, draw a line down the middle on the other side, put passions and Fill up both sides of that paper. It doesn't have to be something that you do in 20 minutes. It could be something that you do over the course of a year. 
And if you don't know what to put on that paper, ask someone who knows you, ask your spouse, ask your siblings, ask your parents, right? And identify what your gifts and your passions are. And then once you see the same word on both sides of the paper, think deeper, think about potential career paths that could come from that. Think about the impact that you can create on others and think about all the people who are relying on you to fill that role and be that person. And, you know, from there, typically the creative mind just keeps running. So once you identify the path that you're committed to taking and that you want to take, really ground in it and, and let the ideas just come to you. Gifts and passions. I've never heard that one, but that's definitely an exercise that I'm going to be doing later today. Tell me, Mike, what are your gifts and what are your passions? <laughs> um, my gifts have always been, like I said, work ethic and communication. Um, I've always been great at communicating and also understanding people. Um, very empathetic and compassionate. And as far as passions go, I love sales. I love sales because it's one of the few skill sets that allows you to achieve financial freedom. And, you know, you can learn up, you, you can have all the SOPs for operations, you can be a systems master. But until you have sales, again, that's the difference between a hobby and a business. So um, I love sales for, for that alone. And I also love sales because it allows you to develop really deep connections and relationships with people. And that's something that I've always valued and always will value is just getting to know people and having a deep relationship with them. So, um, you know, that's sales has always been my, my skill set, my forte. Yeah, I, I can tell. So you've been putting out a lot of content related to sales recently. What has triggered that? Yeah. So I, Kat and I were having a conversation at dinner one night and, you know, we were talking about what the future could look like for me. Um, and just all of the different lessons and wisdom that I've gained over the years. And, um, she said, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, don't know how to sell a product. They know how to create a product. They know how to um, develop a product and revamp it, but they just don't know how to sell it. And my goal with creating content is really just to share and inspire people to better sell their product and create more revenue. Um, ideally, down the road, I'd love to get into sales coaching and helping entrepreneurs sell their products better. I think that there are so many people in the entrepreneur space who, who have these brilliant ideas and then they get discouraged because they don't generate sales from that idea. Or maybe they just, they're like, well, you know, I could create it, but then what? Right. And I want to bridge that gap for people. I want to help inspire more entrepreneurs to step outside their comfort zone and sell their products and create the financial freedom that they deserve. And I also want to inspire those 20, 20, 21, 22 year old kids who are just getting started in their career. Because at the end of the day, business always comes back to sales. Business always comes back to sales. I think that's a, a beautiful, beautiful place to come to a close. Where can people see some of the sales content and check out your stuff, Mike? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Mike Golub. M-I-K-E-G-O-L-U-B with an underscore at the end. 
And uh, yeah, please send me a DM, follow and connect. And I, I love to engage with everybody. Follow Mike, everybody's great follow. And uh, really appreciate you coming on, Mike. Thank you. For Danny, thank you so much. Humbled and honored again to be here. And thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to that episode with Mike Gallup. It means the world to me that you made it to this point in the episode, and I'm extremely grateful for that. So I have one ask, and you know, no ads on this show or this program, but if you would like to share this episode, that would mean the world to me. I'd be really grateful for that. Um, if not, no worries or hard feelings either, uh, but I hope you have a great rest of your day or night, and I'm hoping that I will see you in the next episode. Peace.